Good morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas. Wanted to read to you from Hebrews chapter 5 beginning in verse 11. The writer says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who pertains only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil." Well, welcome to the program. We, uh, we want to take to heart what the writer of Hebrews says. We need to consume the Word of God and uh, not just be on milk, but uh, to be on solid food on the meat of the Word so that we can uh, have our senses trained to discern between good and evil, between kalos, which is the word uh, in Greek for good, and kakos, uh, which is evil. Very similar words in the, the Greek uh, language, but pulls apart in practice. And so we need to be people of discernment. Now, to help me today, as we talk about issues related uh, to uh, ecclesiology, issues related in the Southern Baptist Convention, issues that are uh, on the minds of people and are being uh, discussed quite a bit, especially as it relates to women pastors, is uh, one of my favorite women, and that is Janet Mefford. Janet is an award-winning Christian radio broadcaster who was heard on more than 450 radio stations nationwide during her 12 years of daily national syndication. She's also a former news and religion reporter and editor for newspapers including the Dallas Morning News and the Daily Herald in suburban Chicago. One of her great quotes is this, the great thing about the Bible is that it never evolves. I love Janet Mefford. I got to know her several years ago. She is a warrior for the truth. She has a great husband and family, and she is a very, very dear friend. So, Janet, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to be with you. So, let's jump in, Janet, because uh, all this talk about uh, women in the pastorate, women assuming a position of authority and teaching men, the Bible is very, very clear about that. You know, uh, as it says in Hebrews 14, we need need to be able to discern between good and evil, and uh, Paul makes it clear that a woman, that is not the role that God has given her. He's given her great roles, but not that role, just like he didn't give her headship in the home, he doesn't give the woman headship in the church. And uh, Janet, I've been talking to Paige Patterson and others about this, Tom Askell, but I haven't talked to a woman about this. And so you are strong, you are smart, you are well-educated, you do your homework, you're a person of integrity. So it would seem that uh, the egalitarians would love to say, hey, Janet Mefford can be a spokesperson for us as we push this agenda. <laughs> Why is that not true? I don't true? think they'd ever say They would never say that. I think it's the polar opposite. If I walk in a room, they run the other way. Well, they don't like me very much, Jeff. <laughs> well, but I mean, I mean, they, they like your, your strength and your uh, articulation and those kinds of things. Sure. I, I think what is problematic is that people assume that if you have 
any sort of fire in your belly and you have any ability to articulate your thoughts that you are obligated to be a feminist. And I just reject the premise outright, as I know you do as well. And it's a shame, really, because things have shifted so much in the course of my lifetime. I'm sure you could say something similar. I was raised in a denomination, actually, that did ordain women. And I have said all of my life, I rejected it in practice before I ever understood the biblical theology. And I think that's kind of interesting how the Lord brought me along on that. I never really needed to be convinced. All I needed to do was read the relevant passages of Scripture and say, well, there it is. (laughs) It's obvious. Why in the world am I in a denomination that's ordaining women? It's completely unbiblical. Certainly women have the gifts of the Spirit in many respects, and they're part of the body of Christ, obviously, and the Church is composed of both men and women. But as it pertains to the office of the pastor, that is a man-only calling, and there's just so much Scripture to back it up, and knowing the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture, it's backed up even more when you apply that principle. So I look at the egalitarians, and I understand they have strong feelings, but they're certainly not getting their arguments from the Bible. And many of them don't really try to argue that they've discovered discovered something new in Scripture that has given them a new biblical argument. They just kind of cherry-pick things, and then they twist them, and they try to come up with an argument that really doesn't stand up. Well, so somebody like you, national syndicated radio program, and you were, uh, you know, you're sharing lots of great information, things that you researched and, and stuff like that, but you never felt in your heart, well, I need to be teaching this in a church. Uh, how come no. Janet Mefford never had that? No, because it's unbiblical. It, it's unbiblical. I, it, when you read all of the relevant passages and the totality of Scripture as God has handed down to us, based on the order of creation, this is, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this, but fundamentally when you look at the argument pertaining to men and women and the distinctions within the body of Christ as to our callings, it comes down to a larger argument about the order of creation, which Paul delineates in the book of 1 Corinthians, especially. You can look, and he's talking to the church at Corinth about the order of creation, and some scholars have talked about how the church at Corinth had become confused with a Hellenistic concept, kind of negating the order of creation in some respects, and he's correcting their thinking. And when you understand the larger argument of the order of creation, then when you go to the specific passages in 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, even to the qualifications for pastor-elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, it all makes sense. It's a big, coherent argument that I, I feel really discouraged that that many Christians have never heard preached about, because a lot of pastors don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole for fear that the feminists who don't know the Bible very well in the back of the church are going to come up and give the guy a hard time. And and I, I respect pastors who don't want to get an unnecessarily uh, big fight with somebody in the church, but boy, a lot of the confusion that we're living with right now has occurred precisely because I think there has been a dereliction of duty, and a lot of men in the pulpit don't preach this, and they don't explain it. It's not a matter of picking a fight. It's a matter of explaining and expositing the Word of God as it is written. 
Amen. I just uh, listened yesterday to a sermon by John MacArthur where he was talking about uh, this issue, and he takes it all the way back to the fall of man, and he said, okay, this was the repercussions of sinning against God. Uh, the, the woman's desire was going to be for the man, but he was going to right. rule over her. And he said, you know, obviously des- desire doesn't mean she was going to desire him physically because that that's not a that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's that would be the good thing. But the desire is the desire for control. Control, just like it says in Genesis four, uh, Cain's sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. And so he brought it back to that. He said, "This is just evidence of the fall of man. This is the consequences of sin, and a woman is always going to be fighting that to take control." Now, let me ask you this, uh, Janet, because my wife is a very, uh, very capable, very take charge. A uh, very confident person. I have always been. Uh, I've always admired that in women, and I think that's one of the reasons that I admired. I admire you so much is because you're very confident, take charge. But you realize that's not your place. So how do right. you how do you deal with that as a woman? Since you are very capable, and uh, you know you didn't marry somebody just like you. So Charlie. Uh, as I perceive things, he's a, he's a little bit more like me in personality. You're a little bit more like my wife in personality. How does that work in your home to where you don't take control? <laughs> well, I certainly don't have a perfect track record. I'm sure <laughs> you interview my husband, <laughs> and he's more. He actually is pretty type A, so so we can butt heads on occasion. But I think what it comes down to, it's really not that complex for me. Every single day, because I'm a Christian, I have to repent of my sin, and I have to go to the Lord, and I have to examine my heart in every area of my life and confess my sins, and if I do that, He is faithful and just and will forgive me my sins. And certainly, if I exhibit any traits of wanting to rule over my husband, I'm in sin. It comes down to something very simple, Jeff, in my book, and that is, if I'm a Christian, then I have to obey the Lord, period the end. And if I'm not obeying the Lord according to his word, that's my problem. That is my sin. And I don't get to point a finger at somebody else outside of myself and say, you made me do it. (laughs) It's your fault. If you had treated me better, if you had given me more advantages, or even, you know, in the worst situation where people blame God, and that's just, in my mind, blasphemy or borderline blasphemy to begin to insult the potter and and say why did you make me thus god has told us very very plainly in romans that he is the potter and we are the clay and who is the clay to talk back to the potter you're wandering to, into very very dangerous territory if you don't realize who you are I, I think when you talk about when you mentioned Genesis 3.16 and the reference to Eve having desire for her husband, but he will rule over her, we see that problem for women in our culture all the time, the root of that. If you look at the women screaming at the Women's March, I want to be able to slaughter my child, it's my right, and, and they're out of their minds, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of women, there's anger against men, and a lot of what they do politically or socially has to do with anger and resentment against men, and some of it may be warranted, maybe they were abused, maybe some man mistreated them, a father abandoned them, who knows what their issues are. But you see it all the time, and you see it in marriages, and you see it in boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, and you see it all across the spectrum. It doesn't 
alleviate men's responsibility to treat women well. That That's a whole other subject, because mm-hmm. that's true of them also. They need to repent where they were wrong. Um, but I think it just comes down to mortifying your sin. And I certainly am not anywhere close to perfect on that. I think when you have a naturally feisty personality, that's something you have to <laughs> deal with all the time. All the time, you know? I, I'll tell you one one thing that really helps me, though, Jeff, and I've been thinking about this quite a lot lately. When Jesus tells the parable or tells the story about, you know, he, he was talking to his disciples about being humble mm-hmm. and not wanting to always go, oh, who's going to sit at your right hand, Lord, when we're, you know, who's going to be exalted? Who's going to be the most important person? There was a lot of that. And he said, when you go to a banquet, take the lowest seat. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take the lowest seat. Because if you take the lowest seat, you can always be invited up. But if you take the highest seat, you have you run the risk of being sent down mm-hmm. at the banquet. Yeah, for, that's and I for sure. And I was thinking about that so much, and I thought, it is the duty of every Christian to say, Lord, put me in the lowest place. And mm-hmm. that is supernatural. We, we don't want to do that in our flesh. We don't want to do that. We want to be noticed. We want to have followers. We want people to listen mm-hmm. to us. We want people to respect us. We don't want to take the lowest seat at the banquet. But that's what Jesus told us to do, metaphorically. Mm. And that's always on my mind. And I think that's helped me a bit. Janet, take the lowest seat. Yeah, If that's you're going to move up anywhere, the Lord will move you up. Don't seek glory. The glory is God's. And yes. you need to listen to Him, and you need to obey His Word. He's in charge. You're the clay. Do what you're told. That, I mean, that's really as simple. It's as simple as that for me. Not easy to do, but that's the way I have right. to think about it. Right. It's a good word. You know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Uh, God's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You know, Janet, I think that uh, for so many pastors, we struggle with that uh, because, you know, as as uh, I heard in a prayer, Adrian Rogers said one time, he said, you know, Lord, if I'm known or if I'm unknown, I just want to be yours. And uh, there there's a strong desire within all of us to be known. Um, you know, yep. I want to make my mark. That's not necessarily bad, but it can be bad if it's not channeled in the right direction. Yep. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for Today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and we're talking to uh, a lady that I have admired for a long time, just a wonderful warrior for the truth, Janet Mefford. And uh, I love Janet and her husband, Charlie, and her wonderful kids, and just the fact that uh, she stands up she speaks the truth in love she doesn't back down Uh, she doesn't come half-baked she does her homework and uh, I love to visit with her about uh, culture and the church and see what's going on and so we're talking about the big issue of women in the pastorate so don't go away we will be right back In the book of Isaiah, the word tells us, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. In the same way, without careful planning, your financial goals could blow away like the seeds of a dandelion. It's never too early or too late to consider how a charitable gift annuity can help you meet the financial goals you've set for your loved ones, your causes, and yourself. Give AFA Foundation a call at 800-326-4543, extension 345, or visit our website, afafoundation.net. 
Let us explain how a charitable gift annuity can help you achieve your goals. As we read in Proverbs, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Our phone number again is 800-326-4543, extension 345. And our website is afafoundation.net. Traveling more than 10,000 miles by foot across the lands of the Roman Empire, many more by sea, the Apostle Paul helped shape the history of Western civilization with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm Charles Morris. Join me to retrace his steps and a program series this week called In the Footsteps of Paul. Haven Today, weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. Target still doesn't get it. Their policy allowing men identifying as women to use the changing rooms and restrooms right alongside real women and girls is dangerous. At least five incidents of men photographing and filming women undressing have made the news. How many more haven't? If you've signed the pledge to boycott Target, please stand firm. If you haven't signed it, take a stand and sign it today. Visit afa.net slash target, afa.net slash target. Here's Bert Harper on the AFA Fishbowl Retreat 2023. We are so determined to come alongside the church and to support pastors who share Christ with others, but also stand in the gap for righteousness. And Fishbowl will encourage that pastor to be that kind of a man. Bert and his wife, Jan, are hosting again this year with speakers Jeff and Debbie Shreve from Real Truth For Today. Every difficulty that comes into your life and my life, it's a test of faith. The stormy sea where Jesus is asleep in the boat, that's a test of their faith, and they didn't do very well. And so most of the time when we ask that question why, God's response is, my child, just trust me. The AFA Fishbowl Retreat 2023, September 26th through the 28th at the Riverbend Retreat Center in beautiful Glen Rose, Texas. Register at repairingthefoundations.net, repairingthefoundations.net, or call 662 844 5036, extension 297. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We're talking to uh, Janet Mefford. Janet Mefford, an award-winning Christian broadcaster who was heard on more than 450 radio stations nationwide during her 12 years of daily national syndication. And we're talking uh, to a strong woman about women in, not women in ministry, because we want women in ministry. God uh, has gifted women for ministry, but women that want to take the reins, women that want to be in the pastorate, that want to be ordained, that want to preach on Sunday morning. And uh, so, Janet, you said uh, earlier that uh, even when you were just a young girl and they were doing that at your church, you knew it was wrong before you knew biblically why it was wrong. Uh, Explain that a little bit. How did you know that was wrong? It was a really interesting story. Yes, the denomination in which I grew up was already ordaining women when I was a child, and I didn't really know about it except for the fact that you would have denominational leaders come in, I don't know, every now and then, and say, we're ordaining women, hire them. It was one, they were basically giving us a lecture uh, and chastising my, uh, our congregation that, you know, we only had male pastors, and shame on you, you should hire some of these women. So I thought that was a little weird. But what happened to me was, I, I was a little bit older, I was on um, a missionary trip, and I happened to go to one of the churches, 
and there was a woman who was interning there, and she had been a student at our seminary. And I started to talk to her, and I, I'd gone to the church, and it just was weird. I, I was like, what is she doing here? This just uh, it, Because women are not men, and it, it, it just didn't sit right with me. And I, I couldn't have explained to you all the details of why that was at the time. But I was listening to her, and I got talking to her after the fact. We were all having a picnic or something, and we were sitting at the same table, and I said, why did you decide to become a pastor? I thought it was weird. And she said, well, because growing up, I would listen to all these men preach, and I thought, I can preach better than that. Mm. That, was, that was her response. And I, thought, I remember the first thought I had was, how is that a calling from God? That's not a calling <laughs> from God. No. I, I, I now refer to it as Annie Oakley theology. You remember Annie Oakley? Mm-hmm. Anything you can do, I can do better. Yes. That's basically what the argument is. That's the feminist argument. It's a social justice argument of women's rights, and women have the right. Women can do just as well as men can do, and they have talents, and they have gifts. This is exactly what Rick Warren, by the way, was trying to argue just mm-hmm. recently with the whole SBC, you know, expunging Saddleback from the SBC. That's what he was talking about. They have gifts, and they have talent. It has nothing to do with it. Of course they have gifts and talent. But I remember after I heard that woman make that argument, I thought, that's why you think you have the right to put on a robe and stand behind a pulpit? That's crazy. And I started to go back to the Word of God and look up all the passages that were relevant, and I really started to dig into that. And when I did, I said, oh, my word, how in the world could this denomination ever ordain women? It says the exact opposite in the Bible. The exact opposite. Yeah. So that was where it went for me. It, It really was... I just discerned as just because I was a Christian and I had the Spirit of God in me and I knew enough of the Bible to know something was off, but I I couldn't have explained it in detail because I was young. And then I figured it out. And once once you see it, you can't unsee it anymore. It's not that these people are bad human beings, it's just they shouldn't be there for biblical reasons, and you're in disobedience to God if you're there. You're, You're not allowed to do it. Right. Well, just like you're not allowed as a woman to usurp the authority of your husband. Uh, He's the head. You're not the head. You're the helper. I thought this was pretty interesting, Janet. I ran across this on a tweet by uh, uh, Tom Buck, and he said, you know, the the idea of women in in the leadership position, he said, Acts chapter 6 is a great passage that would teach the opposite, because what is the problem in Acts 6? You have women that are in infighting with other women, the uh, the native Hebrews <laughs> with the Greek-speaking, the Hellenistic Jews, and what do they do? Well, we got to appoint men, uh, seven men of good reputation, and that would have been a, the perfect time to say, well, let's get some women in here because we're dealing with women's problems, but they didn't do that. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I thought, I thought well, you know, that is a great point because if, if you had a woman problem, and uh, Janet, as you know, uh, women are great when they're good. When they're ter- when they're bad, they're terrible uh, because oh, they yes. can be so, oh, so yes. catty. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, 
in the church, you know, we, we deal with real problems in the church, and so it's kind of refreshing to see in Acts 6, okay, you guys were having a problem with, with some women in the church, and so it's not just us, um, and, you know, problems abound everywhere. But they did. They chose seven men of good reputation to serve tables and uh, to, to uh, quell that uh, disruption in the church. And so, uh, Janet, I know, just switching gears a little bit on you, I know you did a lot of uh, research recently about the first woman ordained by a recognized denomination. Uh, share a little bit about that and what year that was, and then what is the aftermath of that? Oh, man, this is kind of interesting. Yes, I did a tweet thread on this just uh, the other day, and I was looking around. I've been doing a much deeper dive into some of the information about Pastrixes. Now, that's a word that was used by Nadia Boltz-Weber, the ELCA woman pastor, and she wrote a famous book called Pastrix, and she kind of went off the rails herself. But I found this information about a woman named Antoinette Brown Blackwell, and I said she was the first woman ordained by a recognized U.S. denomination, the Congregational Church, in 1853. Now, I stop right there, Jeff, and I say, if this were a biblical practice— why wasn't any Christian church doing this before 1853? <laughs> okay, right. that's, that's a whole other set. You'd think somebody somewhere along the line who is a great and apt scholar would have said, hey, wait a minute, we need to include women, but no. But her ordination, this was interesting, her ordination was actually not performed by any congregational minister because none of them wanted to do it. So she was ordained by a socially radical Methodist minister who was a passionate advocate of women's rights to theological education and leadership, okay? So that should tell you something right there. The guy was on the women's rights train. He was a social radical. Luther Lee was his name. She made the argument at the time she was against Paul's admonitions against women and said he was just talking to the woman in that church. Where have we heard that argument before? Mm -hmm. And then she said the Bible and what it teaches about women doesn't apply in our modern 19th century. <laughs> Where have you oh, heard gosh. that before? Yeah. She was a big woman's rights proponent, but what's funny is she was ordained to this church in 1853, and less than a year later, she left because she had growing religious doubts and became a Unitarian. Okay, the Unitarians aren't even Christians. <laughs> she just dropped the whole appearance of being a Christian within a year. And she got what she had wanted. And then I get into some of the details about quotes. She wanted women to seek masculine professions. She wanted men to share in household duties. She stated at the Parliament of World Religions in 1893 that women are needed in the pulpit as imperatively and for the same reason that they're needed in the world because they are women. Now, that's just feminist theology, period. Mm -hmm. It's feminist theology. She's not getting that from the Bible. It was never about the Bible. And I thought it was interesting to look at her life a little bit. Um, I'm not an expert on her life. I just kind of did a cursory research job on her. But it's interesting how when you look at the roots of something, and then you see the fruit of something, you have to remember what Jesus said about examine the fruit. If mm -hmm. you want to know what kind of tree it is, examine the fruit. And mm. that is just a universal principle that works again and again and again, and it works here. So, Janet, from your perspective and, and with your studying uh, of the history of this, so, you know, here are the argument, um, and, and those that are big on the Dwight McKissick is always 
banging the drum for egalitarianism in the Southern Baptist Convention. And obviously, Rick Warren, um, you know, he was really going on a rampage uh, to get people to vote, you know, to keep Saddleback in, even though they have women pastors. But, uh, you know, people that say, well, that's, it's not that big a deal. But it, it always ends in the church going off the rails. That's like the first step in the wrong direction, and it is not going to go well if you rebel against the clear teaching of the Word of God. As you said, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 2 doesn't even really need much explanation. It's just black print no. on white paper. This is, don't do this. Don't do this, and the reason given in First Timothy chapter 2 for letting a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, and Paul saying, I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. The reason is because Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That's the end. That's why. It's just, it, it's not that people can't read. It's that people don't want to accept it. And a lot mm-hmm. of women and a lot of woke men don't want to accept it because, and I will say this too, I think this is relevant. Part of the problem people have, and this is an evangelical problem, pretty widespread, I would say, we get a lot of our theology from the culture. How else do you get churches flying rainbow flags? How else do you get churches bringing in women, usually with rainbow flags around their neck? Mm -hmm. You've seen some of these mainline denominations, and they have their pastrixes, and they have these long uh, sashes around their robes and their rainbow. Mm-hmm. And if you think about this theologically, you're thinking to yourself, why? Why is it? Because the same social justice hermeneutic that can justify feminist theology is the same social justice hermeneutic that is used to justify homosexuality. That's why. It all comes down to not only denying the authority of Scripture, but having a faulty hermeneutic and getting a lot of your theology from the world and from your social condition in life and from your personal experiences and not from these 66 books that Mm. come straight from the Spirit of God, breathed through men like Paul to write them down. And I I, I found something interesting. I don't know if you have a minute. Do you have a minute here for me to share this? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. There is a really good book. Um, that I have been reading, and it, it's big. It's it's pretty big. It's pretty long, but it's called Women Pastors? Question mark. And it's uh, the subtitle is the Ordination of Women in Biblical Lutheran Perspective, and it's it's specific to the Lutheran tradition. But the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is a historically confessional conservative denomination, has dealt with this problem for a long time. And I was reading one of the essays in here from one of the scholars, David Scare. He points out. The contemporary movement at the time when he wrote it, in Lutheranism to ordain women, goes back to Europe. Now, what he says there was that it's not surprising that the first decisions to ordain women in Lutheran churches were political, not ecclesiastical. Norway permitted the first women pastors in the year 1938, but the decision was made by Parliament, not by a church convention representing the congregations. Until 1956, a woman appointed pastor of a congregation by the government could be rejected by a congregation. At that time, even this right was taken away from the congregation. It was not until 1961, or 23 years after the law was passed, that a woman was ordained in Norway. Denmark and Sweden followed suit. East Germany and Czechoslovakia took similar action. And he puts this problem down to the issue of the church and the state were so intertwined that the state had a say in it. 
and ends the, the, the paragraph by saying, in each of these cases in Europe where this happened, the action was taken by governments with socialist or communist leanings. Mm. Now that says something. So when yep. you look in that one Christian tradition of Lutheranism, the ordination of women to the ministry, pastors, happened because the church was tied up with the state, the state won, and the state, through whatever means it decided to make the decision, had such strong input that the church couldn't stand against it, and they had socialist and communist leanings. Now, I'm not saying it's a communist conspiracy necessarily, but it's interesting, because then you see a little bit of the flow of the worldly philosophy and the political inclinations that have affected the issue of pastorses in the last century. People, I, I just don't think people realize this. They hear one reference to Junia by Beth Allison Barr, and they're convinced. You know, oh, Junia in the New Testament, oh, we got to get women, they have gifts, they have talents. That's not an argument. You don't even have unanimity among scholars on whether or not Junia was female, much less whether or not Junia was a pastor. You know, you hear these arguments, Jeff, so I know you know about this, but right. it's frustrating because there's just so little knowledge about it. Well, I think you bring up a great point, and so uh, just at a couple of Southern Baptist conventions ago, you know, we we were uh, admonished, hey, the whole world is watching. How are we, you know, what what are what are we going to show to the world? And um, you know, there, in in a sense, it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm to be a witness to the world, to speak the truth in love, but I, I don't live my Christian life out for the world. I live it out in honor to the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and uh, the world is not going to like the message of the gospel. It's to the, uh, you know, it's foolishness, and to to the uh, Jews and the Greeks, I mean, they they say, well, it's offensive, it's foolishness, I don't want that, uh, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, and so we have a message to share that is not going to be palatable to the world, and it seems like we have people in the Southern Baptist Convention in leadership positions that are working so hard to make it palatable to the world rather than to be faithful to the Word. Uh, what do you make of that? That's exactly what's going on, and it, it has all sorts of repercussions when you look at the fruit of the tree. Actually, what the SBC ought to be saying is the world is watching, so we'd better be biblical. Right, Because that's what real Christians should say. We better honor the Lord, because we are His ambassadors, and we are to stay true to His Word, and we are to honor and give glory to Him and Him alone. And the world can deal with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. We are not of the world, and we have forgotten that. But they are making a lot of these proclamations for the sake of their friends in the media, for the sake of their you know, well-wishers who are on the liberal side, and, oh, today's SBC is so relevant, unlike those weird Bible thumpers of the past. Well, you know what? You have to face the Lord on Judgment Day. If that's the direction you'd like to go, then you can answer for that. But I don't think that people who want to be faithful to the Lord are going to take that same path, and that's why there's conflict in the SBC. That's why there, there's more and more conflict in every conservative denomination now because the infection has spread and it's just very heartbreaking to watch. You wonder who's going to be left standing when, when all of this is over. Mm, mm, that's a good question. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, talking to Janet Mefford. We're talking about what's going on in the church, especially as it relates to women pastors. So we'll be right back.
Hi, this is Todd Nettleton with the Voice of the Martyrs Radio inviting you to the Hearts of Fire virtual event on July 14th. This is a -a one-of-a-kind virtual event that highlights stories from persecuted Christians around the world. This event will benefit the global body of Christ and inspire you in your own walk of faith. Hear from four persecuted Christians, plus join in worship along with Michael W. Smith. To register as an individual or host this event at your church, visit heartsevent.com. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hi, this is Miki Addison, inviting you to join me, my husband, Will, and our kids at The Ark. We'll also be joined by Wesley and Walker Wildman and their families as we host AFA at The Ark, October 26th and 27th. We'll have special presentations from Brian Osborne and Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis and creator of The Ark Encounter. You know, with God, nothing is impossible. That's what His Word says. I see God's hand in just so many miraculous ways. AFA has reserved a block of rooms at the Marriott Cincinnati Airport Hotel to be available at a discounted rate, including several meals. What an opportunity for fellowship. We'll also have presentations and panel discussions with the Addisons and Wildmans, as well as worship together. Space is limited. You can learn more and register at marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net. It's AFA at the Ark, and I hope to see you there. There's a culture war raging in America, and like it or not, we're in the battle. Sandy Rios, AFA's Director of Governmental Affairs and the host of the podcast, Sandy Rios 24-7. For 40 plus years, American Family Association has been fighting for biblical values in America. We've been here to shine the light of Christ into a dark world and to stand against the evil of the day. And by God's grace, we're making a difference. One vital way that you can join forces with us is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. The charitable gift annuity will benefit you and help ensure AFA is in the fight for years to come. See if a charitable gift annuity is right for you. Call the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. The AFA Foundation, the Financial Stewardship Division of the American Family Association. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We're talking to Janet Mefford, and we're talking about uh, the issues in the church. And one of the big issues that be, that's being discussed and argued about is women, not women in ministry, but women in places of authority in ministry, women in the pastorate, women ordained uh, as, as pastors, uh, and women that are exerting authority over men. The Bible is very, very clear. We are not to do that. Uh, men and women have roles. We are equal before God, but we have particular roles. And uh, I love the fact that Janet doesn't back down, even though she's a strong woman. She recognizes, hey, 
this is this is the role that God has given women. This is the role that God has given men. We're going to have to have to give an account of our lives to God. How well did we function in the job description that He gave us? And so, uh, Janet, let's talk a little bit about um, the Rick Warren situation and Saddleback. Were you surprised at all with how strongly he was advocating for people to get on board with his position? I actually was a little surprised. I mean, he put out all these tweets, he put out some videos, he did an open letter, he put out a messenger's guide. I mean, he was working overtime and seemed very mad about it and agitated. And I remember thinking when I'm looking at all of this, didn't you step back? Why? Like, why are, what are you doing? Um, clearly, he didn't like the decision and he made some big uh, pronouncements about we only disagree over one word, man, and this is not what the SBC has done historically. We've been able, we don't have to agree on everything in order to associate together, and he didn't like it. Um, what I found interesting was he had one tweet where he was making his case, and he said something along the lines of the fact that he had read a hundred books uh, on the issue of women in ministry, and he changed his mind. <laughs> And I thought to myself, all right, I, I know I, I tend to be a cynic, but I don't believe you read 100 books. I, <laughs> sorry, I don't believe you read 100 books. I don't believe it. You can prove me wrong, but I don't believe you. Uh, I, and, and how he didn't come out saying, but Scripture says this, and Scripture says that, and Scripture says this, and Scripture says that. He did make reference, I think, to some concordances he had looked at as well. But it was almost as if he was making the argument, I'm Rick Warren and I know stuff. How dare you try to kick us out of the SBC? <laughs> That's how it came across to me. It, I did not see a man who was humble, who was willing to be corrected, who was willing to go back to the text and re-examine it, who was willing to say, I'm listening, and if you think I'm in sin... And if you think my church is in sin for having ordained women and putting the current senior pastor's wife up in the pulpit to preach on a regular basis, then I need to be humble and hear my fellow Christians and be ready to repent and turn around. I didn't see any of that. It was defiant. And that alone, to me, says a lot, because the stance of any Christian, when confronted with sin, real or imagined, ought to be a, hu a humility that mm -hmm. says... I want to do what the Lord says I have to do. And right. you may end up being in the right. But certainly, regardless of whether or not you're in the right or the wrong, shouldn't that always be your stance? And that was when a lot of people took note of the fact that Rick Warren has been, more than almost anybody else, the king of prag pragmatism in the Church, mm -hmm. purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven Church, and all of these, you know, world escapades on outreach of social projects and so forth, and people are like, this just doesn't surprise us at all. But I, I think reading between the lines of what he had to say was more revealing than I think what he actually said. Well, you know, it's like Chuck Kelly's book, Dr. Chuck Kelly, the president emeritus of New Orleans Seminary, wrote the, the book, the brand new book called The Best of Intentions, where he's really looking uh, honestly at how are we doing in the Southern Baptist Convention, especially in the North American Mission Board, how are we doing? We're spending millions and millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars, 
how are we doing with baptisms, with making disciples and those kinds of things? I mean, that, that needs to be a question that we're asking, and we need to have accountability with that. But he gives them the benefit of the doubt, and he says, you know, let's just assume that they have the best of intentions, but this isn't working. And so uh, I think that Rick Warren does want to reach people. I think he does have the gift of evangelism, and it's just part of who he is. But uh, it's like we said in the, in the earlier segment, Janet, how do we do that? We do that by staying faithful to the Word, by speaking the truth in love, by being countercultural, because the Bible is not going along with the culture, uh, and not try and schmooze with the culture. And that's what's very disheartening when we, we see that. Um, and I know that you, you've been speaking to that for many, many years, and uh, I, I would have to say in churches it's getting worse, not better. What would you say? Agreed. <laughs> it's very succinct. Agreed. Agreed. It's getting much worse. You know, it was interesting. I was recently watching uh, on YouTube a, a sermon that Chuck Swindoll gave about 20, 25 years ago. One of the things that he said in his talk, and it was, he was mainly talking to other pastors, he said, I am very concerned about what I see as the erosion of biblical exposition in the Church. This is 20, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was very prophetic, because look where we are now. Mm-hmm. I would say, and I've been in a lot of churches over the years, visited churches, been in different churches, he was right. I think there has been a colossal erosion of biblical exposition, and it has affected the Church tremendously in every single way it could, as far as our ecclesiology, our worship services, what we do in our churches, the emphasis that we put on certain things, the drifting away, the backsliding, the, 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 really the disobedience that we are seeing to the, to the Word of God, even when we're confronted with it. And maybe one of the most heartbreaking, uh, heartbreaking uh, repercussions of the drift and the lack of expositional preaching from most pastors today is we see these biblical illiteracy surveys coming out mm-hmm. of places like Barna and, uh, and George Barna, who's now in Arizona. It's pathetic People who are sitting in these churches on Sunday morning, a good number of them don't read the Bible, and they'll just admit it when they're doing a survey. They don't read it, and the ones who read it don't read it deeply. They don't study it in most cases. They don't know it. They can't quote it. Well, what do you think is going to happen to the life of the Church of Jesus Christ when we don't know His Word, but we'll read everything else? Half the women's groups that I see, maybe more than half, a lot of times in these churches, they're not studying the Bible. They're studying some book by a woman. Now, I'm not saying women can't write books, but that's not why you go to church. Why aren't we studying the Bible? Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as believers? What happens to the life of the church when we put God's Word lower than the latest bestseller from Zondervan? What are we doing? That's a great question. Um, you know, as, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, that, that we're not to be like children that can be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Um, and, you know, the devil is going to work through that for sure. He's more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. Uh, yeah, he says in Ephesians 4.14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so as we began the program, we said we have to have our senses trained to discern good and evil. We have to eat solid food. Go ahead. Yeah, right. No, you're absolutely right about that. Well, and, uh, you know, I think one of the challenges for uh, a pastor that I feel, it's like, okay, um, and this is something John MacArthur has gone to, gosh, probably 30 years ago. Everything he gives is a biblical illustration. He doesn't use many contemporary illustrations because, as he says, that makes your preaching timeless. You know, if you're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, something that happened on good times, uh, you know, okay, well, that was that was in the 80s. So all automatically you're stuck in there. And uh, but if you tell an illustration about Elijah or Elisha, it's timeless. It's in Scripture. Yes. And um, but yeah. but from a preaching standpoint, uh, you have to do a lot of background in those stories because people don't know them. Uh, like they used right. to. You used to just make a reference right. and everybody was with you. We were tracking on Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Now they're like, "Who? who's that? They don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's uh, why we need pastors like you. <laughs> True. <laughs> there you go. Okay, let me ask you some. I, I always like to ask you some controversial things. But uh, what is uh, what is Janet Mefford's take on Beth Moore? No, you had to throw that one at me. Okay. Um, I don't personally know her, but it's interesting you should mention her because she was the one who in many ways kicked off this most recent emphasis on clarifying the issue of pastrixes, because in 2019, I believe it was, she had tweeted out that she was going to be preaching preaching at a church on Mother's Day, and that was a big firestorm at the time that that came out. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about Beth Moore is when all of the woke stuff became more prominent, she was showing her woke uh, credentials, as it were. Mm-hmm. She was showing more and more inclination to be social, you know, socially, social justice oriented, I should say. And eventually she left the SBC. She just left the SBC. I think she's Anglican now, and mm-hmm. she's embracing the whole issue of women leading in the church, which doesn't surprise me. When you see somebody begin on a trajectory, generally speaking, you can predict where they're going to end up unless they repent and unless they're corrected and they listen to the correction. So I think she's done a lot of damage. There are a lot of videos online of uh, snippets of her doing various appearances before women. Some of her theology is just out there. Mm -hmm. Um, She does some very strange things, has said some very strange things. Not that everything that she said is terrible, of course. You have to take the entire body of what she said and be fair about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I think she's done a lot of damage. I think that there are a lot of women who follow her, and it's because she's famous and she's pretty and she's energetic and she's mm-hmm. got a big ministry. But I've never been a woman who has been drawn to women like Beth Moore. I avoid women like Beth Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the substance is not there. It's uh, it's kind of style and it's pragmatism and those kinds of things. Okay, so how how what would you say to the argument, uh, Janet? That uh, well, you Southern Baptists talk out of both sides of your mouth because you have Lottie Moon and you have Bertha Smith. You know, two really prominent missionary women that had a lot of influence in the church. Uh, so you you have people that try and say, well, they would they would 
preach there in their missionary positions, and they would come back home to the States, and they would be speakers at church on a Sunday morning. Uh, What would you say about that? Well, those particular women, since I'm not a Southern Baptist, I don't know enough of the ins and outs of their ministry to be able to get into the details on that. I would say that any—I'll just make a general comment on that. Any woman anywhere who is preaching on a Sunday morning in a church shouldn't be doing it, and the Mm -hmm. men should not be allowing it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have a problem if you have a woman in a different gathering maybe sharing a testimony or— there, there are all kinds of things women can do, all kinds of things that women can do. But when you look at these passages pertaining to women preaching, for example, when you were talking about some of these passages in 1 Corinthians, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, for example, in verse 34, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. And from, from what some of these scholars say, that, that Greek word, when it's used in the context in the New Testament of pertaining to the order of service, the word is always used in the context of preaching. They're not to preach, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. And lest any feminist comes along and says, well, this is Paul's opinion. If you jump down to verse 37, it says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. So this is a spirit-breathed word of God right here in this passage, just as much as the rest of Scripture. I don't feel comfortable with women speaking in the Sunday morning service. I don't. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten much more lenient over the years, because I think a lot of men in the Church don't want to seem like they're misogynistic or too patriarchal, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of women who don't even like it. And women who don't like it are not the problem. Women not liking something is not a reason not to do it. But going back to Scripture, every woman has to be faithful to Scripture, and every man has to be faithful to Scripture. And it doesn't matter what the culture is doing, and therein lies the problem, because there is so much pressure on pastors and leaders in the Church to make the women happy. Why? Because women have become the majority in the Church. Mm. They are the majority of people who are taking a lot of these volunteer positions as men back out. And this is another problem the more feminized the church becomes, the less men want to be there. Mm. So what do you do? You're, you have a conundrum. Okay, well, the people who want to help are the women. All right, well, we'll let the women help. Once you let in too many women, you may have just set yourself up for a feminized church. Where do you think that's going to end up? In many respects, it's a slow burn, but that's where it ends. It ends with feminist theology to some extent or another. It ends with things like Rick Warren or other people in the SBC saying, well, let's ordain these women. They're good women. They have talents. Maybe their intentions are not bad, but you've drifted. You've drifted. Yeah. Yeah. Great word. Well, Janet, thank you for being my guest today. Janet Mefford has been on today. And, uh... You're listening to Real Truth for Today, or thank you for listening to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and I look forward to being with you again on Monday. Hey, make it a great weekend, and shine for Christ, and share what great things God has done for you, and He will use you as His witness. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.